Well, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> it's cold. Man, uh, let me start by praying. Father, thank you for just the privilege of coming into a warm place to gather together with other believers to worship you. Now, we don't take this lightly. It becomes normal, and we, we start to think that it's normal, but we know that it's not. I pray that this morning, Father, that, that you would just open our eyes, that as we read through your word, that, that we would just hear the words directly from you. And if there's something that you don't want me to say, I pray that you would cause me to forget it. If there's something you want me to say, I pray that you would urge me to say it. God, we want to worship you this morning. We want to continue to worship you. And so we place our lives at the foot of the cross. We lay them down to you, Father. And we ask that you would just give us the integrity of our minds to trust you with our lives whatever that may bring. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. All right, we're continuing in our Life on Mission series. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 this morning. We're going to start in verse 16. So if you've got a Bible, um, grab, uh, you can grab one if you want, open up your phone. The verses are going to be on the screens as well. Um, as you guys, just so you guys know, I, we, we strategically like, it's like an Easter egg hunt in here. So there's, there's Bibles like all over the place. So if you see a Bible laying around, well, let me just be clear. <laughs> if you see a white Bible that's just like, it looks pretty ordinary, uh, that's what we, we'll call it a pew Bible, okay? Uh, you can grab one of those. You can take it home if you want. Um, we've got a ton of them. And if you can't read the six font in those Bibles, there are blue Bibles around as well. And those are large print, so feel free to grab those as well. No judgment on which one you grab. All right, Acts, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 16. It says, now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens. We're going to stop here for a second. All right, so here's the context. So Paul's on his missionary journey. He's jumping from place to place. He was in Thessalonica, which is down in Greece. He went over to Berea. People in Thessalonica didn't like him. They followed him into Berea. They persecuted him in Berea. And so Paul ends up fleeing by himself, leaves Timothy and Silas in Berea, and he goes to Athens. Um, and when Paul gets to Athens, so he's by himself, and he shows up. And this is the context. This is where he's at. It says, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, Areopagus, I'm not sure how you say that, sorry, I meant to look it up and I failed to, uh, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. 
For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Whereas I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. So look at verse 16. So Paul shows up to Athens, and he sees it's full of idols. All right, so, and, and, and we can't really, this, the context isn't the same, right? So like there's, there's all these little statues of gods, right? It's like the, the god of war, and the, the god of the harvest, and the god of, you know, fertility, and the god of rain, or whatever, right? And, and this is, they had the, all of these gods, right? You guys all learn these. When, if your kid's in here, you're learning these, right? You learn like the Greek gods and the Roman gods, right? And it's, it's kind of a fun thing because it's like, it seems weird that somebody would think that that was real. But, but like this is what Paul walks into. And so what it says in verse 16 here, it says that um, his spirit was provoked. It means like, it, it actually means to like sharpen. Like he was stirred, he was unsettled by what he saw. So I don't know, like this was probably Paul's first time in Athens. And he's taken back by it. He's like, wow. Right now, this is Paul, grew up as a Jew, right? Like grew up in the synagogue, right? Spending time in the temple in Jerusalem and Tarsus, right? Like, like these are the places that he was. And so he was used to to those types of things. And, and in this context, he shows up and, and he's shocked. He's shocked that they're worshiping all of these little statues, things made out of bronze. If you, if you would, turn over to Romans chapter 1. And this is probably what causes Paul to write this very thing. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes, For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This is what Paul sees. He's like, this is ridiculous. How foolish is this that you think that you, that you fashion this thing out of bronze, and then you go, okay, there, now I'm going to worship that. Let me create something else, right? Doesn't that sound ridiculous to us, that we would worship something made out of bronze, and that's this little thing, we're like, that is so silly, right? Could you imagine if you walked into my house, and you're like, and I'm like, well, this one, this, this one I, I worship for this. This one over here I worship, you know, to make sure my car doesn't break down. This one, I were, right? Like we would all go, that's absolutely ridiculous. And I failed to bring it up here with me, but don't we all have these little rectangular metallic things in our pockets? <laughs> Maybe it's not so far away from us. Maybe we just have different things that we worship. You see, the idolatry of our world doesn't, it doesn't look that far off, does it? 
We, we, we critique these people as being these foolish people of the past. <laughs> How silly of them. It was real to them. They thought it was legitimate. Maybe they just didn't know any better. Maybe they just grew up with it. You youth in here, you guys don't know what it looks like not to have some of these things, right? And so we, we look at our world and we go, well, maybe, maybe there's a lot more worship going on. Maybe there's a lot more idolatry in our world than we think. I mean, don't we have, don't we see the world? And, and when I say the world this morning, we're in it. So this isn't an us versus them, right? We're all mixed up in this. Don't we see the worship of material possessions as, as people seek to find contentment in their life? The new car, the new boat, the bigger house. If I, if I do this, right, this is, this is idolatry. It's, it's if I do this, I'm going to have a little bit of control in my life. That's what all these gods were. They were just trying to control their life, right? If, if, I, if all I have to do is pray to the God of rain, then I'll get rain. Or if I, if I worship him, if I, if I present some sacrifices there, then we're going to get rain. And if we aren't getting rain, then I must have done something wrong. And so this is, this is this control that we try to put in our world, in our lives. And so we go, hey, I'm going to sacrifice I'm going to worship money. Because if I have enough money, then I can control my world. If I, if I have a car that's reliable, I can control my world. If I have a job that's successful, I can control my world. And so we worship these things, and we go, it's, it's easy. It's just an exchange now. Now that, I've, now that I've got control over it, I push this button, and I get more food, right? We're just like Pavlov's dog, just like pushing the buttons to get the things that we know we need to get. There was no different for them. We need to win this war. Well, let's go sacrifice to the God of war. And if we don't win, we must not have done a good job sacrificing. I mean, that's, that's how we live our lives. And so we live our lives worshiping all of these same things. Don't we? Don't we have husbands and wives in here trying to find validation in different ways. We have, we have, we have try, we try to find validation in our work, and we feel better about ourselves. We go, well, the more successful I am at work, the better I feel about myself. The more successful my kids are, the better I feel about myself. The more I serve these foreign gods of Netflix and TikTok and YouTube, I, I will find more rest These are the things that we do, right? And we, we try to control our world with this same amount of idolatry. We see the same thing. And, and what's our response to it? How do, we, how do we deal with it? Do we feel provoked when we look out of this world and we see everybody chasing after all of these other gods, trying to control their circumstances? Do we feel provoked? Do we feel stirred that if they just knew the good news of Jesus Christ? changes everything. 
we say that? Or do we fall into the same mire and traps that they did? And we do. And yet we, we know, we know what the gospel, what, what Jesus did for us. We know what he gives us. And yet we still find ourselves worshiping all the same things that the world is worshiping. So what does Paul do? Look at what he says in, in, or look at what Luke says in Acts chapter 17, verse 17. It says that Paul, it says, so, so, so he gets provoked. and says, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. Okay, so that's one chunk of people. So he goes into the synagogue and he goes, let me reason with you. Now the Jews weren't worshiping all of these idols. And so Paul was just going there to preach the good news to them, going like, hey, hey, this is what's going on. But then look at what it says. And in the marketplace, every day with those who happened to be there. That's an agendaless preaching. That's our preaching. Whoever happens to be there in the marketplace, day by day, right? Like this is what Paul was doing. He was just living life and looking for opportunities to preach, right? We're talking about living a life on mission. This is Paul living his life on mission going, I'm going to preach to anybody that will listen to me. Why? Because they're lost. They're confused. They're distracted. They're worshiping these false gods. They think that this is going to bring them the joy and peace and contentment that they're looking for. And Paul's like, it's not. It's not going to. Those are all temporal things that are, going, that are fragile and weak and are going to fade. And I know the good news. I know of a God who's above all these other gods, like Warner just talked about, right? I know a God who came and saved us. I know a God who rose from the dead. I know a God who promises you eternal life. I know a God who provides and loves you. And so this is where Paul is going. That's why he's provoked. He's like, I got I to gotta tell them this. And then what does it say? It says in verse 18, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also converse with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seemed to be preaching, to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. So you have these philosophers in Athens, right? Like this was, this was the hub, right, of philosophy. I mean, this is where everybody was going. And however you say that word, Areopagus or Oropagus, I don't know, that was like the place. It, it was called Mars Hill later, if you're, if you're familiar with that, right? Like, that's what they're talking about. That's where that was. And they would just gather around and talk about new things. And so this is where Paul's going to all these different people going, I got to preach the good news. I have to. Because they're lost. And we got to be preaching it to each other because I'm going to get lost. I'm going to get confused. I'm going to start worshiping something. And I need you guys to go, hey, what are you worshiping? What's your idol? Because every single one of us in here slowly drifts our worship to idols. That's our human condition with our sinful nature. It's rebellion. We go to worship these other things. That's what idolatry is. It's, it's worshiping something in place of God. So how do you know what your idol is? How do you know what you're worshiping? Let me ask you this. What would you be devastated? Exactly, Warner, great, great, uh, great intro there. What would you be devastated in if you lost? What would be unrecoverable? 
of something that you're thinking about, whatever that is, it's your idol. Anytime you, you put something and you're like, yeah, God can take care of a lot of things, but if this happened, I don't know where God, I, like, I'm guessing God is below that. Mm, that's not true. God is sovereign over everything. And so when we put these other things, whether it's possessions or people or activities or whatever it is, that becomes our idol if we're worshiping that. And so this is why Paul is passionate about this. He goes, don't you understand? Let me tell you about who Jesus is. Now, here's what's funny. They're cool with listening. They're just fine with it. They're like, we would love to hear more about this. They, uh, look, at, look at what it says in uh, verse 19. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, I, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. You see, when we talk about living a life on mission, when we talk about going and preaching the good news, we aren't trying to convince people to worship. They already worship. The world is very religious. They just worship weak, fragile things. Little bronze statues, little rectangular metal things. Name it. We worship success. We worship all sorts of things, and, and we're wrapped into this. And so, and so what, he's, what he's saying here is like the, our job is not trying to convince people. And, and in fact, the Athenians were like, Brandon, maybe this is another God that we haven't heard of. We, we'd love something else. Why? Why weren't the Athenians like offended by this at first? Because they're like, there's something else that will make my life better? Sure. Add it to the pile. Maybe this is a button I can push on those really bad days. Maybe your God's like super powerful. It'd be great. I'd, I'd love to have that. And that's what our world sees of this. And, and maybe this is what you see of this at times. What is the church for? Is it just like, man, this is, this is the button I push when things get really rough. I got to go to church. You see, there's, there's, there's a problem here. There's a problem with our worship. And our job is not to convince the world to worship. It's to direct their worship to the one true God. And so this is what he says. He starts to go to them and he starts to preach to them. And we hear this idolatry, don't we, in our lives? We hear it in the conversations that we have. We can see the idolatry on our calendars. 
it's all over. It's not a us versus them or anything like that. It's that we ought to feel just as provoked as Paul does by our own idolatry and the idolatry of the world outside, and we go, I don't want this idolatry in my life. And they need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ because what do I do with my idolatry? What do you guys do with your idolatry? Hopefully you confess it and you repent and you turn from it, right? And you're like, God, I don't want to worship that. I don't want to worship that. And he forgives you and you move on, right? And maybe you still struggle with it, but, but you have peace knowing that Christ has forgiven you and that you can live a life free of that pursuing God. But the world doesn't know that. The world doesn't have that. They see this as just another button to push. A, a little bit of religion is good. If it betters my life, if my kids will grow up moral, if I can keep them busy and out of bad places, they'll go to more church events. There's no difference. It's just more idolatry. See, and so what he's saying here is that the world is so religious that we have to proclaim who God is. Like, that's the provocation. Did I make that word up? I think I totally made that word up. <laughs> provocation. Thank you, LD. Provocation. <laughs> I applied for a provocation last week. Um, but we should be, right? Because none of you would say to anybody, I think if you just got a new car, everything else is going to fall into place. Has anybody ever said that to you? Or I think... If, you know what, if you just have a kid, everything's going to work out well. <laughs> we know these things, and I'm, <laughs> I kind of muddy the waters with that one, but we don't recommend these things to anybody because we know they're temporal. We know that they're, they're fragile, that, that we shouldn't be relying on these things. We know they're weak. If you just get this new job, how about that one? If you just get this new job, then everything's going to be perfect. Your relationship with your spouse, your kids are going to obey. Everything's going to be streamlined. And yet, that's how we live. We are tempted to live that way. That's the only way the world lives, right? They're just they're looking for the next feed, the next little piece of contentment that they can get, just a little bit of happiness just to get them to the next point of happiness. The next place where they don't have to think or worry. And so we, as followers of Christ, look at that and we should be provoked and go, they need to hear the good news. They need to hear about the God who's the one true God, who can give them real contentment, real peace, real joy. And that's exactly what Paul does if you look in verse 24. So, so Paul starts out and he says, let me, let me tell you, about this unknown God, the one that you've saved a little spot for. Let me tell you who this is. And let me, let me just stop here for a second. What Paul doesn't do is he doesn't say, you guys are a bunch of morons. 
He doesn't. He doesn't start with judging them because they're outside the church. He goes to them. He finds the common ground. And he says, let me tell you. Let me tell you what's real. Let me tell you what's objective. Let me tell you what's true. He says, the God, in verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he even served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. That they should seek God. And perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring. We ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver, or stone, or an iPhone, or an Android, or a TV, or Netflix, keep going, or a job, an image formed by the art and imagination of man, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. See, Paul goes, I know who this unknown God is. You want to hear about him? He's actually God. He created everything. He gives you life and breath. He's in charge of where the kingdoms are and which kingdoms come up and which kingdoms go down, where the boundaries are of properties. He's in charge of everything. And he's going to judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. Now, certainly Paul goes, hey, we got to spend a lot more time talking about this. I need you to understand that Jesus was your sacrificial lamb. He was the one, he sacrificed himself for you. This God came to rescue you while you were an enemy. He loves you. You see, righteousness matters. It matters. You can't just form something, you can't just pick something and say, that's what I'm going to be about. There's objective truth. There's either God or there's not God. We either worship God or we should discard him and go and live life. Those are our options. We know this to be true. We're irrational to be in this middle ground. And yet that's where our sinful nature plays us, right? We swing here, we swing over here a little bit until we feel enough guilt, and then we swing back over here until we feel better, and then we swing back over here. And say, this is what he's saying. There is one true God. 
You know, as we've been talking about living a life on mission, we've been talking about going and telling people about, like, what the Holy Spirit has done in our lives, right? And, and how he changed our hearts and how, how he's worked in our lives, right? And we've talked about these things. But the reality is, is there's still a truth. There's still an objective truth. It's not just about our feelings. It's not about your emotions. It's not about how you feel about God. He is God whether you feel good about him or not. He is God, whether, whether you acknowledge him or not, he is still there. He is still on his throne. He is still a God of majesty. And this is where Paul is pointing to the Athenians going, man, you're wasting your time with all these other things because they're not going to give you what you're looking for. And that's what we have to say to the world. It's good news because they don't even know that, they, like, they think they're actually going to get it. And sometimes we think we're actually going to find contentment in things. We'll find validation. We'll find our identity and our work. We'll busy ourselves with activities, and we become slaves to them. This is what we do. And yet we can go back, and we go to the cross, and we go, yeah, but, but I know my identity is in Christ. I'm a child of God. I've been rescued. He's given me his Holy Spirit. The world needs to hear this. The world needs to know this. We should be less concerned about offending people and more concerned with their eternity. You see, that's where Paul was at. Now, it helps being anonymous, doesn't it? We could talk a lot about this. I think that's kind of why we like mission trips. Because it's great. I go to a foreign place, nobody knows me, and I can just start preaching. No embarrassment, no strings, no consistency, no commitment. See you guys in a year. Lovely. But when we live a life on mission, and we go into the marketplace every day, and we see the same people. Oh, that's, that's a whole different preaching, isn't it? And yet, that's what we're called to. And there's this expression, um, and I don't, maybe one of you guys said it to me, I don't know. Um, it's, how's that working? Jennifer, you might say this to me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I got this from, but it's really good. It's a good question to ask. It's a good question to ask for ourselves. It's a good question to ask the world. Your friends, your neighbors, the people that are confiding in you, right? The people in the marketplace. How's that working for you? Did that binge watching the other night give you a lot of rest? Did that purchase? Fill the need permanently? Is that relationship giving you the validation you're looking for? How's that working? You see, because if we're honest, as believers or not, we're going to say, well, it works for a little bit, and then it kind of seems to run out of steam. And then I go back to it, and we do it again. 
and this, that's the window. How's that working? Because I, I've, got, I've got this Savior that I need you to know about. And he gives us joy in the midst of suffering. How does that happen? Oh, let me tell you about my dad. Let me tell you. He gives us contentment when we have nothing. How could you possibly? Let me tell you about him. He gives me peace in the midst of chaos. How in the world? Well, let me tell you about him. How's that working for you? Are your, are your idols, are your gods working? That's the question. That's the question that we need to be asking of ourselves. That's the question we need to be asking the world. That doesn't mean that God strips us of all of our possessions and all of our relationships. That's not what this means. It means that he actually gives them to us for a purpose. For a purpose. Your relationships are not there just to validate you and make you feel better. Your relationships are, are opportunities for discipleship to point others to Christ. And so that other people can point you and remind you of the peace that you're supposed to have when you're getting anxious. Not that they just preach a verse to you. Right, But that you actually go to God and you actually go, no, no, actually I'm trusting in you. You see, that's the difference. And so we, we go, and so God gives us our possessions. Oh, a lot of us in here have tons of possessions. Tons of possessions. Spencer often talks about the amount of mini storage units there are. It's a pretty good indicator that we have too much stuff. Now, does that mean that, that you're rebellious? No, because he can give you possessions for his purposes, for his glory. If you're using them in that way, he gives you a relationship with a spouse or a friend. For what purpose? To glorify him. So the question we need to be asking is, is for what purpose? What's the purpose of this? Everything in your life, everything. There is not one little area that you go, well, this, is, this doesn't have a God element to it. Yes, it does. And if it doesn't, get rid of it. Everything. And if you're sitting here going, I don't, I don't know how God is glorified in this. Talk to somebody. Because if he's not, and if he can't be, then it's sin. But if he can be glorified in it, then that's why we're called stewards. God gives us things, and we hold on to them lightly. Not with, not with strained fists. We hold on to them because he puts them in our hands and we use them, whether that's our time, our energy, our resources, our relationships, our possessions, whatever it is. We go, while I have them, I'm going to use them for your glory, God. And if you take it from my hands, well, then I guess I'm not going to use them for your glory because I'm not going to have them anymore. But it's for you. It's not for me. 
That's what we need to be telling the world. Because there's one God, and he alone is worthy of worship. Let me pray.